Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me for the second hour of Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. I'm Michael Radelnik. I'm professor of Jewish studies and Bible and academic dean at Moody Bible Institute. And I'm here today, just about every Saturday, to do my best to answer your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Normally, the bulk of this program is taking your phone calls, but not so today. Today, it's an all-mailbag, all-the-time edition of Open Line. The best way to be in touch if you want to send a question in, although it won't make it to the program today, it'll be in a future mailbag, the best way is to go to our website, openlineradio.org. That has links to everything you're looking for, I'm sure, about the program. But in particular, there's a place that says, Ask Michael a Question. You can go to that and fill out the form, and your question will be added to a future mailbag. Joining me today is the person I turn to when I have a question about the Bible, and that's my favorite Bible teacher, a colleague on the faculty of Moody Bible Institute, a contributor to the Moody Bible Commentary and the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, and also my wife. Eva Rydelnik, I am so glad you've been with me this first hour and now the second hour. Ah, I just love doing this with you and Trish. It's so much fun. Yep. I'm, it's always fun for me so that I don't have to answer all the questions. That makes me happy. <laughs> it's just I'm just kind of lazy. That's what it is, Trish, <laughs> don't you think? Also joining me today is producer of Open Line, the person who makes everything happen, and a double graduate of Moody Bible Institute, both bachelor's and master's. Uh, she's the one that put the mailbag together, Trisha McMillan. Hello. Hello, Trisha. Okay, so today I'm going to try and get you to answer some questions. (laughs) Not just ask them. All right. There we go. We'll we'll see what happens with that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let's let's go right back to the mailbag. All right. Our first question is from Jennifer in Illinois. She listens to WMBI. She wants to know, is there a significance in Genesis 3.21 where God makes garments of skin to clothe Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? The verse says... The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And specifically, why did he clothe them here and not after he has sent them into the garden? I'm sorry, out of the garden. Mm -hmm. Um, So with the timing of it, why did it happen before Uh, they're sent out? (laughs) Maybe because it would be a little chilly outside the garden. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, As for timing, I don't know. It just seems that that's when God did it. He acted right away. I do think that there's something to be said here. That Now, th- just think about this. This is sort of like the prologue to the entire Torah, the, the, the law of Moses. God puts Adam and Eve in a fruitful garden, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, don't, he gives them one law. Don't eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens when they break it? They get cast out, and they're cast out eastward, when you think about it, because he places the cherub at the eastern gate, so they, they won't come back. So they were cast out eastward. What does that foreshadow, everyone? Yeah, you see in the scriptures, every time people go east, they're going away from God. Yeah, well, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But also, think about it. What does God promise in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, for Israel? He's going to bring them where? Into a land of milk and honey. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he gave them this Torah. Obey it. 
And what's going to happen if they disobey? Yeah, they will be cast out. They'll be cast out eastward. Right. Mm-hmm. Now God promises to bring them back, but uh, they'll be cast. And so this behavior with Adam and Eve foreshadows the message of the entire Pentateuch to Israel and the giving of the law. Uh, I think that sometimes we we think that, oh, this has nothing to do with the rest of the Pentateuch. Why did God tell Israel this? Hey, it happened before. It's going to happen again if you don't obey the commandment yeah, that he's, God gave. He's Moses, before they even got into the land, he told them it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And so I find that uh, remarkable. Uh, now, do you think there's any significance to the garments of skin, Eva? Well, I think it's interesting because in verse 7, when they first, and Adam and Eve first made their the horrendous mistake and ate, their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Mm-hmm. So they for themselves took plants and covered themselves. Yeah. There was a shame aspect that came right. with, with sin. But it. But then we get to verse 21, God didn't say, good job with the plant plan. Mm-hmm. He's He does something different. He does animal skins. Likely, he arranged for them to have sacrifice. Mm-hmm. A, for, a foreshadowing or um, the earliest, earliest sacrifice. Yeah, uh, the earliest sacrifice leading to Leviticus, where it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no yeah. forgiveness of sin. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's saying... I. Uh, that's the message of Leviticus seventeen eleven, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it says that I've taken the, the animals, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. So the imagery there is God's covering sin with the blood of these animals, and that's why they have animal skins. So uh, we start with sacrifice right there. Yeah. Um. So it's a, it's not just a story of the sin of humanity. It's it's a forewarning of to Israel of what's going to happen to them if they don't obey the Torah. Hmm. And it's interesting too that Cain, if we move us a little bit further down, he brought an offering of of the fruit of the ground, mm-hmm. and that was not. Accepted yeah, although he, for some reason, there, but Abel's are, was accepted. But there are grain offerings. Uh, in the Torah. I don't think the problem was the kind of offering that Cain brought. I think it's the attitude. If you, you, can, you can pick up the attitude in Genesis 4 when... Because uh, well, that's... I mean, they, each one was a farmer, the other was had livestock, right? Right. And it said, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. In other words, Cain just gave some of it, but uh, Abel gave the The best, best. and that was the difference. Hmm. And it wasn't the amount because he also gave some. Yeah. But it, it was the best yeah, of his, exactly. of what he the had, some born, of the best. Firstborn, before he had any it. others, he gave the firstborn. That's obviously uh, prominent because there's no guarantee of second, third, right. or fourthborn. And then also uh, the fat portions, meaning the most valuable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Didn't keep the fat portions, didn't keep the fat portions for himself. So. Okay. All right. Thank you for that question, Jennifer. I hope that answered it. <laughs> we went all, all so sorts of directions. Did. So much more than you asked. We did. Yeah. We did. It was more. 
Um, but thank you for your question. Uh, next question is from, hang on, it's on the next page, uh, is from Fred in Georgia. What do Jewish people who have not accepted Jesus as Messiah believe happens to their soul at death? Well, I think there are about 14 million Jewish people in the world. Mm -hmm. There are about 14 million answers to that question. <laughs> okay. Uh, there is no uh, official answer, and here's the reason why. Even among, I mean, many Jews are secular, and they don't believe the Torah anymore, and they don't, uh, but even among those who are very committed Jewish people to Judaism, the religion of the Jewish people. The, the way uh, Rabbi Benjamin Bleck, who teaches at Yeshiva University in New York, uh, the way he puts it is that Judaism is a religion of deed and not creed. So there's no creedal formula that says, this is what we believe happens. Uh, in order to be an observant Jew, a, a practicer of Judaism, it is emphasizing practice, not faith. It's what you do. Do you keep Torah? Do you keep kosher? Do you keep Shabbat? Do you keep the the laws of Moses? And that's what do you Judaism observe is the about. holidays? Yeah, that's what it's about. It is not about what you believe. And that's a very important distinction. So people always ask me, what do Jew Jewish people believe? What are well, the Jewish people believe all sorts of things. Uh, the, if you think the one thing that Jewish people sort of focus on is, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yeah. If there's a creedal aspect, it's Deuteronomy 6.4, uh, uh, monotheism. On the other hand, within Orthodox Judaism, if you look at rabbinic writings, there is a sense that people will go to paradise or Gehinnom. There is an eschatology that Jewish people do have, but uh, it varies from person to person. Uh, it's, but there is an eschatology, uh, personal eschatology, end of days perspective, or what, what happens to the soul of the individual. And many people believe that there's a promise of paradise, but it's always based on merit. Uh, if you've practiced Judaism, if you've done, kept the Torah, that's... That's the basis. And yes, yes, there is an emphasis on God will be merciful, God will show grace, but it is based, it's grace plus works, not grace alone. So, okay. okay. All right, thank Good. you. Well, uh, we're going to take a break here. Uh, there are many more questions here in the mailbag, which is why we are trying to empty the inbox. We're trying to clear the spindle. We're trying to get to all these questions as best we can. We'll get to yours next, the one that you sent in. And uh, so don't don't miss out. Stick with us. You're listening to Eva Rydelnik, Trisha McMillan, and me, Michael Rydelnik, as we answer your questions on this all mailbag, all the time edition of Open Line. Would you like to explore the depth of Psalms and go beyond the familiar verses in Proverbs? Well, the Moody Bible Commentary should be the first place we turn for biblical insight. We've excerpted the Moody Bible Commentary on the Psalms and Proverbs to help you better understand God's Word and apply the worship of Psalms and the wisdom of Proverbs to our everyday lives. Give a gift today and request your copy of the commentaries on Psalms and Proverbs. Call 888-644-7122 or visit openlineradio.org.
to Open Line. I'm Michael Rydelnik. Joining me today, Eva Rydelnik, Trisha McMillan. We're talking about the mailbag questions you've sent in. We're doing our best to get through a big bag of mail so that we can at least uh, clear the spindle, as I say, a little bit. So, Trisha, what have you got for me here? Okay, our next question is, um, we've got a couple questions about angels. Okay. Um, Rick in Indiana listens to WGNR. Is there any correlation between the two angels on the Ark of the Covenant and the two angels present at the tomb where Jesus rose from the dead? There was an interesting observation that he made about the two angels. However, I think that the answer is no. (laughs) There is no correlation between the angels on the Ark of the Covenant and the angels at the tomb. I don't know. What do you think, Michael? I agree. I think that that's just because it says two angels— it's two angels, you know. Uh, <laughs> and the tomb wasn't an ark. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. It's an interesting observation, but I don't. I don't really see any significance of the. Uh, it just. It was just. There were those angels that were there. So are there different types? I, I know there are different types of angels because you have like the archangels, like Michael is an archangel, mm-hmm. um, and there are cherubim and seraphim, and there are different types, I guess, of angels, are, are those rankings, or do we know? Uh, it appears that Michael was the guardian of Israel. Okay. That's what we, we seem to get from the book of Daniel. Uh, Gabriel seemed to be very common to give messages, uh, but he was a powerful angel as well. Uh, I don't know. It seems like the cherubim and seraphim were more worshiping angels. You could see that in Isaiah 6. Uh, but in term, uh, it's, they're more general. The, the best way to understand an angel as a general rule is uh, it comes from the, the Hebrew word for messenger, and that's the same word that's used in the Greek word, messenger. So angels are messengers of God. Okay. I mean, even there was... Cherubim, we were just talking about the Genesis 3 with sin. Mm-hmm. Um, he drove man out, it says in Genesis 3.24, and stationed the cherubim mm-hmm. and the flaming whirling sword mm-hmm. east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. That the, the cherubim show up. Yeah. Actually, yeah. that's the first time, First right? mention, yeah. The first mention of them. Yeah. So they are yeah. present throughout the Bible. Yeah. And there's just a lot of questions about them. People are, and, and movies and cartoons have formed a lot of our <laughs> theology yes. about angels. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, oh yeah, cartoons. It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> yeah, and, Clarence. and all the uh, like cards. <laughs> I remember like um, like little Cupid dolls, or or even um, medieval art. Like all of these angels little, with wings, and they're all little little babies, little babies with babies. wings and. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that, I think, is formed. And the girls, all, all the angels being female, female, kind of like if you look at, go to a Hallmark store, you got all these little glass yeah. angels and all this kind of stuff, yeah. which is not the way angels are presented in the Bible. No, <laughs> but like putting putting one of those up against Gabriel or up yeah. against. Well, just think about what's the very first Michael. words out of anyone's mouth when they, when they, out fear. of the angel's mouth. Yeah, yeah don't be afraid. Do don't, not fear. Yeah, they must be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if we have a, Cherubim standing with a flaming whirling sword. I guess it's it's just with the fa- flaming whirling sword. I mean, that yeah. sounds terrifying as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. 
All right. Yeah. Well, I hope that answers that for you. Our next question about angels is from Jeff in Illinois, who listens to WMBI. Recently heard a sermon where the pastor stated that Christians are assigned an angel when they accept Christ as Savior. He says, I've looked in the scriptures and have never seen it. Is the concept of a guardian angel in the Bible? Two passages that I'm aware of, there may be others, but I'm aware of two passages that seem to teach that there is an aspect of angels ministering to us. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, when it speaks about angels, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So it does appear that in that case, angels are sent out to minister to those who are followers of Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse, um, chapter 1, verse 14. Hebrews 1, 14. The second one is Matthew 18, verse 10. Uh, and the reason for this one, uh, it says... This is the this is a warning. See that you don't look down on one of these little ones. Because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my father in heaven. So it does appear that here when it talks about don't look down on believers, uh don't look down on one of these little ones that they have someone who is a guardian angel who is, uh, I don't think, making intercession, but they are present in heaven so they can actually are present with the Father and guarding these. So um, Matthew 18.10, some have taken to be referring to guardian angels. And one of the verses that comes to mind, too, is the verse in... um, Psalm ninety one, eleven, mm-hmm. for he, for he, God will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Yeah, that's that's what Hebrews one is talking about. So it goes back about. to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it actually quotes it in that passage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. All right, and I know there's a full study, a full theological study of angels called angelology. Yes, but right. it's it's. There's just a lot we don't understand about yeah. angels. There's a uh, a good book. It was in an old Moody Doctrine series, and I believe it's still published by Moody Publishers. Uh, it's called Angels, Elect, and Evil. It's on angelology, and it was written by C. Fred Dickinson, my old professor that I had. He's, he's still teaching the Bible out there. Uh, he's retired from Moody, but... Uh, ran into him not too long ago when he was headed out for a Bible study that he was teaching. Uh, Dr. Dickinson is still out there teaching. God bless him. I love Dr. Dickinson. He was a wonderful professor for the book of Hebrews, and he's got a wonderful book called Angels, Elect, and Evil. I think that's still possible. to you can. He has a lot more information about angels than I will ever know. Yeah. Uh, he's got it right there. All right. Thank you, and thank you for that resource. Next question is another page. Deborah in Indiana listens to WGNR. Is every believer in the U.S. 
going to experience persecution before the rapture? Well, <laughs> how do I say every? And how do we say before? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I well, think, before, I think, before I think, we're raptured. Yeah, that's right. That's why. I mean, uh, how about, I, we, we won't after we're raptured. I right. promise that. Or are we going to experience persecution before we die? If yeah. we die before the rapture happens. Right, right. You know, I think they're pulling that off of 1 Thessalonians 4.17. I think that's a pretty... Um, 1 Thessalonians... Four seventeen, isn't that isn't that the verse? The, it says, that "Then says, we are alive." No, that's the rapture. No, uh, I was thinking about First Timothy, where it says that all who. Oh no, that's no, that's the wrong verse. Uh, wait, wait, wait. What verse are you calling uh, on? What verse am I calling on? Yeah. Oh, Second Timothy three twelve. I'm yeah, sorry. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, Second uh, Timothy three twelve. Yeah, it says in Second Timothy three twelve. In fact, all those who want, that's the one I was looking for, Eva. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Messiah Jesus will be persecuted. And the truth of it is, there's going to be different levels of persecution. I mean, it may be some difficulties at work. It might not be to the level of being thrown in jail or being threatened with your life or anything like that. But at some point in everyone's life, there's going to be some pushback if we desire to identify and stand with the Lord. You know, that's it's. there's going to be, in our society, there will be pushback. Don't you think? Yeah, I, have, I, absolutely, yes. <laughs> I absolutely think. I absolutely think so. And I think Jesus even, you know, talked to us about that in the Sermon on the Mount, about, you know, what's, what's it going to be like for you if you're, if you're living faithfully? You're going to be uh, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of things evil Manner against, evil you, against, against you. you. Yeah. yeah. So I think he didn't say if it maybe is going to happen. He says when, when it happens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I found that, that I experienced more persecution when I first came to faith uh, than I have since. When I first came to faith, I was actually threatened physically and mm. uh and there were all sorts of threats against me, and, and I won't even go into it. But the, the interesting thing to me is at the time I wasn't afraid because I was a teenager and I was stupid. And I, I didn't have any sense of fear, or which now that I look back on it, I would be afraid of that now. So I'm really glad God knows when to give us the ticket, so to speak. <laughs> as uh, Corey Tim Boom says, yeah. As, yeah, uh, because at the time I was like, oh, I'm a teenager. What do I care? You know, yeah. I was I was stupid, and uh, th- now though I, I'm grateful that I'm not experiencing that because. But there are other kinds of persecution that believers today in America might experience. It may not be violence, threats of violence, but it may be you know, you know, either. Uh, I I hear remember hearing Dr. Stoll uh, recently talking about people struggling because of taking positions at work. Uh, publicly, that that they felt they had to, that might in in some sense jeopardize their position at work. So mm-hmm. uh, that's that's where it's at. Yeah, yep. yeah, and and the different persecutions we have we have the opportunity then to stand up or to make a decision to not stand up for mm-hmm. what we believe. Yeah, and deal with those repercussions either way. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's all those who desire to live godly that face persecution. Uh, 
if we don't desire to live godly, well, probably we can compromise and not face persecution, but then we'll have to have some other issues that we'll deal with, right? right? More right. serious ones. Yeah. 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 So we'll all have questions, I think, coming up um, in our personal lives, you know, in our own lives of mm-hmm. what will we do, you know, when faced with that. Yeah. And I think uh, that's why the scriptures are so encouraging to us about being strong, standing mm-hmm. firm. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's being in, strong, standing firm. Don't is, be afraid. Yeah. yeah. Someone asked me just a few weeks ago about the verse where it says, "Don't fear." Uh, oh, human beings. Those but, who can kill the body. Yeah, and those not, who kill mm-hmm. the body, but fear the one who can kill the soul. Uh, and what is that referring to? Well, it's not that we should be afraid of God, but we have to recognize that when we have fear, it's not over. Human authorities that we can be afraid of because there's one that we're going to stand before. Not that we have to be afraid that he'll separate us or we'll lose our salvation, but just recognize his greater authority uh, and and fear God rather than fear human beings for mm-hmm. what they could potentially do to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes when you're when you're physically staring that decision in the face, though, that one seems the greater threat, yeah, or the greater um, risk, danger, yeah, danger, risk. yes, yeah. than yeah. like. A God who who you're not seeing right standing in front of you yeah. saying, what's your decision? Which, <laughs> you know? which is for all these reminders. Yeah. yeah yes. That's it. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, well, that great reminder for us that one day we'll stand before the Lord and we want to hear well done. Not, oh boy, you should have not kept your mouth shut then. We're going to be right back with more of your email questions in just a moment. Welcome back to this all mailbag, all the time edition of Open Line with me, Michael Wright Helnick. In 1 Corinthians 3 9, Paul said, We are God's fellow workers. Paul knew he wasn't a lone ranger, but he was part of a team ministry. And you know, I, ex- I know exactly what he meant. Many of you have become part of the Open Line team by becoming kitchen table partners giving to Open Lion monthly so I can teach God's Word weekly. Thanks so much for doing that. If you're listening and you find Open Line helpful in your walk with the Lord, now's a great time for you to also become a kitchen table partner. Your monthly gift will help people from coast to coast, even around the world, grow in their walk with the Lord. And as a bonus, I'll send you a Bible study moment every other week. It's a special audio Bible study designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. Become a kitchen table partner today by calling 888-644-7122 or sign up online at openlineradio.org. And part of our fellow workers here today, Trisha McMillan, producer of Open Line, is joining me for this mailbag edition, and so is Eva Rydelnik. And I am so glad. Uh, now comes some hard questions, so I'll just <laughs> defer these to you guys. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> okay. First question or next question is from Marsha in Ohio. She listens to WCRF. Will believers who are alive and taken up in the rapture, will they die during the millennial reign of Christ? If you're taken up in the rapture, that means you are either resurrected from the dead, you know, the dead in Christ rise first, and or the those who are alive and remain will be translated. And so we get immortal, glorious bodies. That's when we go. However, 
Think about it. That happens. The rapture happens. Then sometime after that, shortly thereafter, I think, there will be the tribulation period. And there will be people who come to know the Lord during the tribulation. And some of them will die. But many of them will be the ones, both Jews and Gentiles, who will enter the millennial kingdom. And they will be in their regular mortal bodies, which is why in Isaiah 65 it talks about people who die at 100 will be considered young when they die because there will be a different lifespan during that time, but they will be able to die. It will be possible. And they will also be able to marry and reproduce, which you know we don't do in our immortal glorified bodies. They will marry. They will reproduce. Their kids will have to trust the Lord. Uh, so it's not the believers who are translated in the rapture that will be living and dying and reproducing, living, reproducing, and dying in the millennial kingdom, but it will be the people who uh, enter. They will marry. They'll have kids. Those kids will have to trust the Lord. That, that's what we're looking at in the future. Okay. So we'll have three groups of people, I think. <laughs> we'll have the... Or I guess four groups: the those who died before and the rapture and were resurrected when Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. We'll have believers who were raptured, so didn't die, but translated. But were translated. So both of those will have glorified bodies. Mm-hmm. We'll have uh, those who su- survived the tribulation and got saved during the tribulation mm-hmm. in the millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we'll have those in the millennial kingdom who are like the offspring of those who survived, who were believers, mm-hmm. who may or may not be believers. Mm-hmm. And those, any of those who survived the tribulation into the millennial kingdom, any of those can die? Those who, or, sur- those who survived the tribulation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could die. So they could die. So they- the those who have the glorified bodies already won't die. But those other two groups, the children mm-hmm. born or those who survived the tribulation, could die. Mm-hmm. And I'll add one more group for you. Okay. Uh, the Old Testament saints will have been resurrected, according to Daniel 12. And will also have resurrected and, bodies. Yeah, they will be resurrected at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Okay. What happens to... So so the person who dies, this is not where this is. I'm so sorry. I'm going way <laughs> off script here. Um, the person who dies, the believer who dies during the millennial kingdom, will they then immediately get a glorified body? No, I think they're, or... they're, 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 that will be part of the final resurrection of the, the, the first and the second resurrection. The, there'll be some resurrected at the end of the millennium, and they will enter into the because they're believers, they will enter into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And then there will be those who are not believers, anybody in all of time, not believers will be resurrected and they will face the great white throne judgment and they will be separated from God, sadly, horrifically, during the new heavens and the new earth. Because during the millennial reign, Christ will have been on the throne reigning on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then the new heavens and the new earth are after the millennial kingdom. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. The new creation. Mm-hmm. That's okay. what new heavens, new earth. In the beginning, yeah. God created the heavens and the earth. There'll be a new creation, and he will be present with us. It says in Revelation chapter 22 uh, that uh, verse 3, 
the throne of God, and my version says, and of the Lamb, I would say, even of the Lamb will be in the city, the New Jerusalem, and his servants will serve him. So uh, they will, that's why people will see, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Whose face will they see? They'll see the face of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Okay. Hmm. I think so often, I think I've mentioned this before, but so often I think we compile all of these and make them into one idea yep. so that the new the the millennial kingdom is the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, and yes. they're all kind of this eternity blur. Thing. Blur, yes, <laughs> yes, that's a great throw word in, for it. People <laughs> even say heaven, you know, when we die and our, yes. and our immaterial part goes to be with the Lord, that's blurred in with it too. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, so thank you for this clarification and allowing my extra questions <laughs> sure. on this as I... Try and keep it straight in my head. Um, So when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, Terry wrote us and is a Sunday school teacher, and her students were asking if those if there will be animals in heaven in the new heavens and the new earth, um, and if they will see their pets who have died. Okay, so I just want to say this: I you were the producer of Open Line when Pastor Cole. I was. was was, was doing the questions, it, yes. yes. And I think that I would just defer. What did he used to say? <laughs> he used to say, if you need if you need your pet up there, be there. When you get there, whistle for your dog, and if he comes running, then you've got your pet there. Yeah. 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 But he he basically was an agnostic about it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel as agnostic. I I I think there will be animals in the in the new heavens and new earth. But I don't know if they're going to be resurrected animals. You know, will every ant that ever has been <laughs> died? Walking across your picnic yeah, basket. Say, will that one, or the fly that you swatted, will that one be resurrected in, in the, I don't, I'm, I'm very skeptical of that. Uh, I think that the distinction is the eternal beings are the ones that have the image of God. Uh, and so... Now, I, I don't know this for sure, but that's what I think. The image of God is what makes us eternal beings. However, I'm willing to defer to Pastor Cole and say, you know what? Just give a whistle. Let's see if Rover comes a-running. Okay? Okay. And he talks about the new heavens and the new earth. It, it sort of it makes you feel there's going to be, you know, trees and grass and, right. you know, all kinds of animals and all this kind of stuff. That there would be other life other than just yeah. us people. Right. Yeah. I think there will be animals because it I talks just... about the fish that come down, like during the in the millennial kingdom. It talks about the fish coming down yeah, to the Dead Sea and all that. So you wonder how much of <laughs> but yeah. that's different, right? But that's, that's not different the new heavens than the new, and the new earth. But yeah. it makes you think. Well, maybe in the new heavens and new earth there'll be something. Like I do that think too. there will be animals. I just don't know if it's going to be what Fido animals, and right. Fido. I, I I listen. I once had a dog named Panda. If ever there was a dog that that uh, was he, redeemed, it was him because <laughs> he was such a good he's dog. such a good dog, but. Uh, I'll I'll leave it to God on that one. All right. Thanks for that question, Terry. Next question is from Sonia in Florida. Listens to WRMB. In Daniel 9, a week has been determined to be seven years. But where in the Bible does it say that a week means seven years? I don't think that Jacob waited seven years. Seven... <laughs> He waited seven years between Leah and Rachel, 
would that have been 49 years? Uh-huh. Like, I, mean, like, yeah. no. I didn't do the math right on that. But, right. but I, I mean, would that no, have been it, not seven years? It does say that, it does say that Jacob uh, uh, waited a week to marry her. And it appears to be a week of years that he waited seven years to marry Rachel after he was deceived. Yeah. And Laban required him to work seven more years for Rachel, and he waited a week. It, was, it appears to be a week of years. So he waited seven years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, then why does he have a second wife? But you know, it does appear to be seven years there. Uh, and uh, here's another reason. I'm going to tell you why I think Daniel 12, expl- I'm sorry, Daniel 10 explains why. Oh, I won't have time to tell you that. Nope. Okay, uh, Daniel 9 says this. Uh, it says that uh, 70 weeks are decreed, so that's a period of 490 years, right? But then Daniel 10, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, right? And in verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks, now, that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says, I was mourning for three weeks of days. Why does Daniel specify days? Because he's distinguishing it from the previous paragraph, which were weeks of years. In the previous one, it just says 70 weeks have been decreed. It doesn't say weeks of years or days, but it's clearly talking about years. But then when he comes to Daniel 10, he doesn't want to confuse anyone and think, oh, I was, wait, I was fasting for 21 years. So what he says, I was fasting for three weeks of days. That's literally what he says. So by specifying that in Daniel 10 too, he is distinguishing it from the weeks of years of Daniel 9. Okay. So staying with Daniel... Moving to Daniel 12, mm-hmm. how is the word time associated with one year? Uh, time times and half a time, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Uh, it just seems to be that that's a, a expression. You can find it in various places in the Bible that it refers to a year, a time, a time, two times, and then a half a time. Uh, so it has a, a singular uh, a duality and then uh, a half. Okay. So. And then going back to the weeks of days and the weeks of years, the Sabbaths of years. Well, that's another. There's the sabbatical in the Old Testament. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, in Leviticus Yeah, that was a seven-year period too. It was. Yeah. Okay. So then a Sabbath would be seven years, a Sabbath of years? Yeah, yeah, Sabbath of years. years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. Well... Yeah, and uh, by the way, the Moody Bible Commentary, I think, has a pretty good exposition. The author shall remain nameless of Daniel 9, but (laughs) confusing passage that can be understood if you read it carefully. We'll be right back with more of your mailbag questions in just a moment. This is Michael Rydelnik, Eva Rydelnik, and Trisha McMillan. Stay with us. You know, in Psalm 122, verse 6, the psalmist exhorted us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, a prayer we too often neglect. That's why Chosen People Ministries' new calendar is a great reminder to pray for Israel. This year's calendar will immerse us in the land of Israel. It will encourage us to pray, breathtaking photos from the land, and prompts heartfelt prayer. This calendar can be yours free. Since the Jewish New Year begins in the fall, 
The calendar runs from September of 23 through December of 2024. For your free copy of Chosen People Ministries Jewish Art Calendar, just go to the Open Line website, that's openlineradio.org, scroll down, you'll see the link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that link and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of the 2023-24 Jewish Art Calendar. Welcome back to Open Line. This is Michael Rydelnik. Joining me today for this all-mailbag edition has been Eva Rydelnik and Trisha McMillan. And now we want to get to some of the... I mean, there's still a few uh, questions left here. Yeah. So let's, let's we, see what we do. We not do not run out of questions. No. <laughs> Larry in Ohio listens to WCRF. And recently, a pastor he follows did a series on hell where he highlighted all the verses where it shows that only those that go to heaven have eternal lives and those that go to hell cease to exist at some point. That's called annihilationism. Annihilationism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, Well, is is that what scripture actually says? (laughs) I would say both Old and New Testament teach, and this is one of the saddest things the Bible teaches, that, uh, that we're all made as immortal beings. And the sad part is that if we reject God, we're separated from him forever, and there's a conscious suffering uh, about that. And uh, there's an Old Testament verse that teaches it's, that. Yeah, I, I was re- reminded when he uh, looked at this question of uh, Isaiah sixty six twenty four. It's the very last verse in the book of Isaiah, and it says, "And then they shall go forth and look on the corpses of the men who had transgressed against me, the Lord." For their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Yeah. So an the, eternal state. Eternal state of suffering. And uh, sadly, the New Testament, talking about people in the tribulation who take the mark of the beast, uh, it says there is no rest. This is uh, Revelation Chapter 14, verse 11, there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image and anyone who receives the mark of his name. Uh, the previous verse, it says, he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. Listen, I'd, I'm not trying to uh, end on a bummer. Here's what I want to tell you. C.S. Lewis said, you will never meet a mortal. Every single person we meet is immortal. Uh, We are immortal glory or immortal horrors. Here's the thing. We actually have a message that gives us the hope and the possibility of becoming immortal glories of God, to be trophies of his praise forever. And it's not through anything we do. All we have to do is trust that Jesus died taking the punishment for our sins and being raised again uh, to new life, that he can give us new life. And as a result of that, we can spend all that eternity, just as we talked about in a previous segment from Revelation 22, mm-hmm. his servants will serve him and we will see his face. It will be glory. Every tear will be wiped away and every joy will be at its fullest why even risk the danger of being one of those eternal wretches? Rather, trust in Jesus. Now, 
when he is longing for you to come to him. That's what I would just really encourage you. This is the greatest hope we have. Those of us who have experienced this, I hope this will motivate us to be out there telling people not to be shy about our faith. We have the hope of eternity for people of, of being with God forever and ever. Yeah. I think, yep, I think it's wonderful, and and the abundant life right now. Mm-hmm. There's, it's not just we have to. It's not fire insurance that we're looking for. It's not just pie in the sky. Right? Not pie in the sky. It is a dynamic relationship with God that begins the minute we trust in Jesus as our Savior. It's, it's as, pie today. As the <laughs> as the as our resurrected hope. Yep. That's right, and then yep. with Him forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Is there? Catherine wrote and wanted to know if there's a scripture that we can pray for revival for the U.S. for um, restoration and spiritual growth for the church. Is there are there any scriptures you would recommend that she could pray? Well, pe- people talk about Second Chronicles seven fourteen. I really believe that's more about Israel mm-hmm. uh, than it is for us. If anything, we can pray for the church to be revived mm-hmm. based on that by application. In Jeremiah, he said something about uh, settle where you. All uh, oh, right, when in, it, when they were being taken to Babylon, and I can't remember the exact reference, but yeah. but the Lord said, "Pray for the for the good of Babylon, where yeah. you are going, where you are going to be." So we we can we're we're sort of in Babylon right now, and we can pray for the good of our secular countries and pray for God to bless them. And I always think it's a, a wise idea to pray that the gospel would go forth. That's what Paul prayed. Uh, for his own boldness in the Roman Empire, uh, that he would proclaim the good news and that people would respond and he would have wisdom intact. You can look at Colossians 4, 2 through 4, uh, where he talks about that. So, yeah, we can pray, but uh, pray for us is what basically we should do for our boldness, our clarity, our tactfulness, our ability to season the gospel with salt. That's what we need to be praying for. Yeah, good reminders. Hey, thanks, Eva. Thanks, Tricia. Great time talking about the scriptures together. And that's the program for the week. I can't believe it. But uh, we're going to be back next week, so don't go away. Uh, Check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. Check out the links there. I think you'll find them helpful, including how to find our current resource, as well as how to become a kitchen table partner. I hope you'll keep reading the Bible so we can talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.